Though much is taken, much abides. And though we are not now that strength which in old days moved, earth and heaven, that which we are, we are. One equal temper of heroic hearts, made weak by time and by fate, but strong in will, strive to seek, to find, and not to yield. Welcome to the Oscar Watch Podcast, the podcast where we look back at past Best Picture winners for your reconsideration. I am your teacher this fine, fine day, Stephen Budra, and joining me once again, fresh from the beach, Amy Thomason. Amy, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful, and I loved your poetic opening. That huh. is actually my husband's all-time favorite poem. It is my all-time favorite poem, too. By one Mr. Tennyson. Yes. I, uh, have a st- I, think, I think a lot of guys have a strong affinity for, the, for this poem. I don't know why, but uh, folks, in case you are unaware, this just loaded up on your iPhone willy-nilly. You didn't see. We are, of course, doing... The 1989 Best Picture nominee for your reconsideration, Dead Poet Society. We've been in 89 a while. We're going to stick around for a bit longer. Uh, Amy, let's be honest. Did you have to watch this movie again to properly discuss it? No, not at all. I don't even remember the first time I saw this movie because I've seen it and watched it so many times. I do remember when it came out, and I think I wanted to see it, but it was 89, so I was in, like, sixth grade. Jeez. And I remember that because of one of the events in the movie, my parents didn't want me to see it. I think I know which event you are referring to, but there are a number of, there are a number of things that happened that maybe are not... I mean. There's an entire plot line that is basically parents don't parents don't approve of things. So, we'll, but we will of yes. course discuss that. I don't remember the first time I saw this, but it's one of those films, kind of like Back to the Future or Lord of the Rings, where I just I just watch. It's on like oh, well, I guess I'm watching Dead Poet Society now. It's just yes, I yes. have seen it. Like when you're a waspy New Englander who in the throes of their teenage years trying to figure out what to do with your life, Dead Poet Society is what you want your life to be. Although I did not have nearly as nice a school uniform because I did not go to school with a uniform requirement. But regardless, uh, I felt a, a large affinity for the characters and the themes of this, of this particular movie and have ever since. And... Uh, revisiting it for the first time since becoming a parent uh, was definitely wonderful, and it was it was it was great to uh, I don't like it was like a high school reunion of sorts. Well, you know? as as being a parent, and also for me, I knew guys like this when I was in high school yeah. who want who were like, I want to go to that school. Like, I want those guys to be my friends. I want to talk about poetry. Then, as a teacher. Because before I taught drama, I teach all drama now, but I was an English teacher. So really? Oh. I was. And on my first day of teaching, I said to my kids that they could call me Mrs. Thomason or Goddess of Literature. And I did have some students who called me Goddess of Literature. Okay. I mean, that's a little... <laughs> that's a little presumptuous. At least Robin Williams just says, oh, Captain, my Captain. Which Captain, yeah, you know, he's not... Whitman the... poem. Whitman was all about the men. Well, not a yeah. very feminine writer. Yeah, but okay, but goddess of literature—that's a little bit. This is very narcissistic, right there. Like you're, you're. It is. I own that. It is. But you know what? Many students still gave me that title. Awesome, awesome. I am respectfully not going to call you that, mostly because I disagree with it. Also, it's a mouthful, and let's just not. Just not even get there. You're Amy. You're you're my buddy. You're my co-host. Yes. <laughs> Dead Poet Society was directed by Peter Weir, written by Tom Schulman. It stars Robin Williams, R.I.P. Ethan Hawke, Josh Charles, Robert Sean Leonard, Kurtwood Smith, and Gail Hansen, among many many other uh, faces. 
And the IMDb synopsis, English teacher John Keating inspires his students to look at poetry with a different perspective of authentic knowledge and feelings. And it was a big success in 1989, both box office-wise, and it picked up an Oscar or two at the 62nd Academy Awards, and we will discuss those right after this break. Thank you. Every writer should have the kind of support that I had during the making of this movie. Peter Weir was such a spectacular director. The producers, Stephen Half, Paul Witt, and Tony Thomas gave such loving support. The studio was incredible. Jeff Katzenberg, David Hoberman, all the rest of them, thank you. I'd like to thank Robin Williams and a perfect cast, a great crew, my parents, Gene and Herb, and my wife, Miriam, who supported me during the terrible years when I, I couldn't get a job in this town. And thank you, Academy. I really appreciate this from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Dead Poets Society was nominated for four Academy Awards at the 62nd annual show. We have been in 1989 for a while. We, of course, did Driving Miss Daisy. Should have been a contender, do the right thing. And we just wrapped up My Left Foot. This is the third Best Picture nominee of that year. So... The film was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Peter Weir, who also would do The Truman Show, he did Witness, and the very great and underappreciated Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World, a wonderfully unsung director, and of course Best Actor for Robin Williams. It won one Oscar, that is Best Original Screenplay to Tom Schulman, this is slightly based on his life. And we have discussed in previous episodes how, yeah, it's fine, but there's Do the Right Thing, there's, uh, there, there's so many, there's, there were a lot of great movies written that year that maybe this one didn't quite, uh, didn't quite deserve that. Where, what are your thoughts on Dead Post Society winning Best Original Screenplay? I think it is a very good screenplay. It would I would not have voted for it to win best screenplay. Yes, but if you were in the Academy in 1989, and granted, the Academy is full of rich white guys, who this movie is about, would you have voted for it then? I really don't think so. There Ooh. were two screenplays out that year. My toss-up is between Do the Right Thing and Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Through that, yes, a film but that we will be discussing I, later. I agree with its nomination. The only thing that it wasn't nominated for that is one of my favorite elements of the movie is Best Score by Maurice Jarre, because this music is beautiful. And Seriously. It, it haunts me. It haunts me after I turn the movie off. It's a great piece of music. And it's, you know it's a great piece of music when it shows up elsewhere. I've heard this in commercials. It's in, been in montages and whatnot. It's, it's, a solid, it's a solid piece of work from a very solid and great, great composer who's been working for decades in the industry. He's one of the all-time greats. Uh, yeah, I, was, I was surprised at how light the nominations are. You could, I could, you could put in production design, maybe even costuming, art direction. Cinematography is... I, I was... I was watching this with my wife and was astounded by some of the beautiful shots oh. in this movie. Just incredible. Just the, 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 there was one shot of a uh, bagpipe player. Standing by the water. Stand, standing by, standing by the still waters in the fog. And I was just, my heart stopped. I went, oh my, my word. Now, one single pretty shot does not a cinematography nod make. No, but, but it's it really, really it's really it's really understated the the New level England. of craft here. Hmm? It shows New England at its best, which it's, uh, it's actually in Delaware. But end, yeah. and the scene at the end when they are out and it's there's snow. Yeah, and there's just that quiet. And I've talked about this in one or two other movies with snow, but it's just quiet until they start talking, and it does. You feel like you're out on a cold morning. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, uh, I I I know the, I know the scene of uh, of what you're talking about. It's 
It's very powerful. And one of the actor, one of the characters says and just looks around and goes, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, Neil would have loved it. And maybe uh, some supporting actor nominations. I would, one, of, one of the kids. Maybe, uh, probably Robert Sean Leonard. Is it Leonard or Leonard? Or Ethan Hawke. Or Ethan Hawke. Either one of those two. Yeah. It's also, hard to know who the who the main character is in this movie, though, because it's such a good it, ensemble yeah, movie. It's, I'd yeah, say that's really it. It's an ensemble movie. Because it's, Robin Williams, yes, I see why he would be nominated for lead actor, but is but he's not really in the movie that much. No, he's in there. He's in there at certain points, but I would say the two characters that it really focuses on are Ethan Hawke and Robert Shawn Leonard, because both of those characters go through such a change from who they are at the beginning to the end. Yes. Robin Williams gets the, the tastiest morsels in this. And he yeah, does, he and, to, this, and this he is... He gets a, to quote a bunch of poetry. Yeah, he gets to quote a bunch of poetry, and he has these amazing speeches. And he does bring that comedic Robin Williams that we, certainly in the 80s, we knew and loved. But also, he imbued it with this pathos in a way that this role could only be played by Robin Williams and to have it really, really work. It's one of those roles. I'm like, I, Jason Sudeikis was in a staged production of this. And I go, yeah, that's fine. But you're not Robin Williams. Nobody is Robin Williams. Nobody will ever be Robin Williams again. Let's not even try to emulate it. We'd have to go in a completely different direction with the, but with the character. Able, but that he because in real life he is such a wild guy that for him to play anything as restrained as this is really what it is. Yeah, absolutely. This was Robin Williams' second of four nominations. He was nominated previously for Good Morning Vietnam two years earlier and two years later for The Fisher King. A very under underappreciated movie. Just, just amazing. Uh, and he finally, those were all Best Actor nominations, but he finally picked up Best Supporting Actor for, of course, 1997's Good Will Hunting, a film I am dying to revisit, because what up, Massachusetts? Uh, hey. And he's, uh, I think, uh, while younger me would absolutely love to give him this, he's amazing in Good Will Hunting, and it's much more nuanced, and uh, it's, it's a similar role, but subtle, much subtler. Uh, but he is, of course, great here. This is my second. I think this is my second favorite nomination. Although, frankly, and let's—I would like your opinion on this. Should Robin Williams have been nominated for more things? I know they don't like comedy, but like Mrs. Doubtfire. Let's, I I would have given it to him for uh, the movie Awakenings. Oh, yeah, Awakenings! That, that's such a good I movie. I think is really his best performance, and hmm. I say this with all due respect to. Robert De Niro. Yeah, De Niro is whatever. But a lot but... of times, it's sort of, and it sort of reminds me of Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise in Rain Man. Okay. Dustin Hoffman gets all the credit for that movie, but Tom Cruise, I think, really gives the performance of his life in he's, that film. He's really good at that. And movie. I feel the same way it, with Awakenings. I would have given it to him for Awakenings, or at least a nomination, which I don't think he, he was, wasn't even nominated for Awakenings. And um, if they did voice work stuff like that, the genie from Aladdin. Yeah. He received, he received a special award from the Golden Globes, I believe. Right. But uh, I think the story is they could have nominated for him, but Robin Williams, he improved so much of the genie's dialogue that it technically didn't count. Towards an acting, yeah. uh, an acting nom, which is which is crazy because like the ge the genie, it's it's weird that an animated version of your voice is one of the most noteworthy acting which examples you've ever had. But <laughs> I've been great. watching. But I was thinking about that. I was watching Toy Story with my son William, who finally is now on the Toy Story bandwagon. Okay. And is it weird that I think Woody from Toy Story is one of Tom Hanks's best roles? I mean, just because Woody, as we previously discussed in our Toy Story three episode, is kind of a sociopath, yes. But I would say but weird, Hanks but does such a great job. He does. With him, he though. does. I mean, and it's... I that's one of my favorite roles of his. And speaking of people giving great comedy performances, he was great in A League of Their Own. That's one of my favorite roles that Tom Hanks did. 
Yes, yes. Well, we are not here talking about Tom But we're not Hanks. here to discuss that. But no, but we... as far as voice work and stuff, I think that for a lot of people, sometimes their voice work can, with certain voices, it is the best role some of these people do. Yeah, yeah. And of course, we lost Robin Williams uh, several years back. Oh. That was a that was a that was a sad one. That was a tough one, I think, for a lot sad. of people. I've been to the bench in in Boston Commons. It's 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 heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Taken away. He's one of the great lights in in cinema, and he will be missed. And obviously, if you remember, it was basically a, a the the best moments of Dead Poet Society that people used to honor him. The, all the speeches, all all of the scenes with him in it. You can just pick one, and he will have something profound to say about his life, or or indeed indeed any life well lived. And Okay, we are going to take a small break, and when we come back, we're finally going to dive right into Dead Poets Society. We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race, and the human race is filled with passion. Medicine, law, business, engineering, these are noble pursuits and necessary to sustain life. But poetry, beauty, romance, love, these are what we stay alive for. It's a quote from Whitman. Oh me, oh life of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, oh me, oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. What will your verse be? Amy, you mentioned that before you taught drama, you taught English. I have to ask, did Dead Poet, the Dead Poet Society, in any way inspire you to become a teacher? Um, not really, but it inspired the kind of teacher that young, idealistic, romantics such as myself want to become. Okay. Why do you think that is? Because when you go into teaching, you obviously you don't go into it for the money. That's for sure. Yeah, that's but true. I wasn't one of those people that was like, from a young age, I wanted to teach. My dad was my dad taught special ed for thirty seven and a half years, so all my parents' friends were teachers and stuff. And to me, I was like, nope, that's boring, that's lame. <laughs> I want to go into theater, and I want to live like in rent where I live in a big loft. But even though I'm broke, I can still live in Greenwich Village. Yeah, that's that's not how anyone lives in New York City. No, it's, it's not. So you get older, and you're like, oh, you know what's really cool? Things like medical care and steady paychecks. Retirement's stuff like pretty that. nice. No. So, yeah, so I sort of, I went into teaching because I was like, I want to inspire young people slash, hey, medical benefits are great, too. I'm not going to get into the whole long saga of how all this happens, but I was, I was an English, I double majored in English and theater. But you do, you, I look, because I looked back at my English teachers and I had such great English teachers who mm -hmm. were great, not because they gave us great assignments, not because they had their classrooms set up all Pinteresty, but we read great <laughs> literature and we sat around and like wrote papers and stuff. Okay. And that's kind of how the English teacher that I want kind of wanted to be, but English is taught very differently now. Yeah, I was. I won't get into the details. No, no, no. I actually, actually, you I, have to teach English differently now, and it, it's awful. It's heartbreaking. So there's a whole generation of people like me who want to give these kids these great classic books and discuss them, and we're told not to do that. Yeah, I was. That was my. That was my thing. I was looking. I was watching this, and going, how would John Keating be treated in the Common Core? 
teach for the test environment today? Like, like when, like you're, you're idealistic. How quickly would a John Keating lose his ideology when he walks into a classroom? Is it after the first day, the first week? Is he, is he going to put up a good fight? Is John Keating eventually going to lose? It, I think he would do it for a year. But here's the other thing about the movie that I think a lot of people forget is that you look at him like he's such a great teacher. However, if you look at the level of the students that he had, mm. it's a lot easier to take kids who are well-behaved, who have 100% motivation to want to succeed, who are competitive, who have parents that are putting all of their resources into their kids' education and teach them to come out of their shell a little bit easier than when you have students who come from nothing right who have parents who don't care who came to school hungry or maybe the parents don't speak english or maybe they're living in a chiller or maybe their house is you know what i'm saying it's it's a whole nother ball game yes and, that's and so not to say that his job was easier but he had kids who were primed for success so nowadays if he had that group of kids he would still pretty much have an easy job because he has kids that care who are going to get a good night's sleep before the test, who, ha- who do all of their work. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? He I doesn't do. have the challenges that a lot of real teachers... Like, go watch um, Blackboard Jungle. Oh, or yeah. Sir with Love. Those teachers have whole... They're not just like... Oh, you're already wondering and you care and you work so hard and when I sign something I know you're gonna do it and I know you're gonna do it to the best of your ability but and be able to just give like you know be a free thinker or be this be that and not have kids who are like cursing at you and right. not doing their work and can't read and all that or, stuff but, and again this is a jaded older version of me who's been <laughs> in the classroom for a long right. time who has, who has been called a bitch before as I recall, more than once. Oh, hey, yeah. more than and once. you know what? And you know what? You can't I've even you threatened. can't even paddle been... kids anymore like they did in this movie. God, no, just... I've, I've been physically threatened by a student before too. Yeah, it's a time. The times have changed, and one of the things I think we we discussed before this conversation was uh, an alternate title for this movie is "Hey, rich white guys got problems too," you know, and that yes. is. That is very that is kind of apparent in what you're discussing in that uh, someone like me, waspy New England guy, went to a just very great public school of all places. God forbid if I went to a me private too. school, I'd be so much more I'd be so much more successful than I am right now. This podcast would be making money. Let me tell you, uh, it's it is it is very easy. Should the, given the the atmosphere of today. Is this movie inaccessible to a large portion of the population, or does its message transcend our our, our just pettiness? Honestly, um, honestly, I think it's kind of hard to judge. I also grew up in a bubble very similar to yours. I went to an excellent public school, um, where it was assumed we're all going to college like that that's how it was and parents fought to get their kids into the accelerated classes and the other pressures that you have at a school like that and at my public high school is parents shoving their kids into accelerated classes that they didn't really belong in and then when their kids struggled they would try to get the teacher fired so you do have pressures he didn't never dealt with any of those pressures though. His pressures were like, Oh, I just want everybody to speak freely and, you know, have your yeah. own thoughts. It didn't it's... show the pressure that he would be under to make sure all these kids are getting A's and all these kids are succeeding so they could all go on to the Ivy League. Right. You know what I'm saying? So that's the kind of pressure that teachers in those areas have. I have different pressures. Yeah, but still, but still, Keating was was to blame for the the death of Neil. 
in the in the eyes of the yes. school because because they need so to blame somebody. It's it, it, not to say that it's easy because it's hard because in private schools, you know, you have you have all the pressures from the parents to make sure their kids, you know, getting a five on that advanced placement exam and right. stuff like that. Right. Okay. All right. We we discussed a lot about the atmosphere of of the place. Uh, we didn't. We, we should talk about the kids. You got Ethan Hawke, you got Robert Sean Leonard, you got Josh Charles, a bunch of other guys. What? Why do we like these kids so much? I found myself going, man, I am sort of a bunch of these different kids all sprinkled around. But what? They're so. What is it? I guess just what is it about them? What is it about a young Ethan Hawke breaking out of his shell, finding his voice? About Robert Sean Leonard getting, you know, trying acting and finding what he really wants to do. Why? Why do we like this so much? Why do we like them so much? Well, there's a couple things. Okay. When I first saw the movie, I was in high school, and they're hot. Let's start there. Okay. They're all very, very pretty. They're handsome. They're in handsome a, teenagers. In a very non-threatening way. All right. All right. So there's that. They are also, they just have that innocence about them. Mm. And really, you didn't hear them talking a lot about girls and stuff like that. Like, you had Josh Charles who got a crush on that girl. Right. We'll decide, we'll but, talk about that later. Yeah, but they're not, like, cursing and, like, looking at porn and getting, and being ugly. When they're together, they're seriously reading poetry and talking about their teacher and they're being affected by their teacher. And that's not something we really assume with teenage guys. They're like, wow, he read it. Because really, if you think about it, it really kind of was guys sitting around reading poetry. Yeah, that's what they were. They they need something. And they're not like you know, and they're smoking, but they're not like drinking and getting like shit faced and all that kind of stuff. Like it's a very, very idyllic look at youth yeah. and and guys. Yeah. The nineteen fifties when we could still And not all and not that. all nineteen fifties boys were like that. Cause like I said, the Blackboard Jungle, which was based on a true story of a guy who worked in inner city public schools. That was also the 1950s, yeah. and that was a very – and that, like I said, it was based on a true story and this real guy's experiences, and these people are, like, trying to rape their female teeth. You know what I mean? And it's – but it's a very whitewashed, clean, sterile version of young men, yeah. in my opinion. It's a, it's a little safe. I think that's why it appealed to not only the Academy as much as it did, but also to the general – Public, may you know, it's set in the fifties about these just these delightful white these delightful young men who are white who are trying to find their voice and there is there is there's a universality there like we all need to find our voice but it's obviously much easier when you have parents that love you and care about you and can give you food all the time and can send you to a, send you to a nice place you have these kids who are looking for something. They're being taught a lot of rote memorization, and that's fine. They're being shuffled through this system, this pipeline that will bring them to the Ivy League, because 75% of Welton graduates went on to attend the Ivy League, and that's very impressive. But it's a lot of pressure for kids to for kids to come up come upon. And then this English class, which, by the way. Is he is John Keating only teaching one class? Like, you know, d- when I just one that that Neil apparently is the only person who used that desk when he opens up Neil's desk yeah. after the suicide and he sees all of Neil's nice little books still in his desk. And I thought, one, is Neil the only person that uses this desk? And two, did they bring you on just to teach this class to this one? Like, really? Is that? You don't you don't do anything else? And why would Neil leave his books in the desk? I mean, like I said, there's a lot of plot points that now that I've seen the movie 75,000 times, I'm a lot like wait a minute. Yeah. This really doesn't make any sense. Yeah. But you know, there there's something philosophically that a little a little bit irked me the wrong way and that I understand the need 
to find your own voice. But the kids, Neil and Knox and Todd and all of them, they they don't really it t- you know they eventually get there. They don't find their own voice for a bit. What they do, they spend a lot of time aping Keating. They emulate him. They don't they don't they don't strike out on their own. They don't find their own walk. What the, a lot of what I saw them doing, at least for the first couple of Dead Poets Society meetings, they were cosplaying. They were cosplaying their favorite uh, favorite group, their favorite movie, as it were. They're like, well, mm-hmm. hey, these guys did this thing. Why don't we do this thing? They were, it was sort of, they were following along, which I get it. When you're a teenager, you do want to follow along, but Justin, like, yes, need, need, but Justin needed. But you Especially also like you need some... like you do your own thing, yeah. You're saying yes. Yeah. When you find someone or something that you really admire, like I, because I was that kind of teenager. Okay. I didn't know anybody in real life like that, but I saw the movie Cabaret, and I was like, my entire goal in my life was like to be Sally Bowles. I wanted to live in Europe. I wanted to sing at a cabaret club. You know, right. like her whole life, I was like, that is what I want. Yeah. And it's... you look back, and you're like, okay, that's kind of silly. But but you do, and you pick up those mannerisms. And right. I remember wearing green fingernail polish because Sally Bowles wore green nail polish. And they're not finding their unique voice. They're, they are. They're, no. they're, they're I, becoming I, like him. Right. They, they're, they're becoming like him, but they're, what Keating's doing, he's planting. Because it's hard to know how to think for yourself when you've never been told that was an option. When it's like, okay, you're going to go to the, you're gonna Welton, then you're going to become a lawyer or a doctor and then and that that's your life you can think afterwards and you need someone to set to tell you the tell you how but at the same time it's it's going to be very hard to not latch on to that person it's like anytime there's a sexual awakening in a usually female character it's it's not they don't break out on their own they latch on to that character who helps who helps wake them up because they they've never known it known any better and it, this is not a sexual awakening this is a spiritual this is an intellectual awakening of these kids and i would honestly this is a movie where i would love to see a sequel i would love to see the dead post society 20 year reunion between all of these guys to see what they have done with the teachings of john keating if they held on to them if nuanda went to the village and became a beat poet or something like that. If, oh, uh, if, 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 oh, I love, I love, I love Charlie Dalton. I have, I, I used to, I used to find him so annoying and, pre- and pretentious and like, oh God, really? Dalton's a word. I, yeah, I used to, but this time around, I'm like, really? Dalton, solid work right there, Nawanda. Cultural appropriation aside, but it's the 50s and I'll give you a pass on that one. I, I, I like him. He's embracing it. He ain't snitching on his buddies. And he's he's really trying to live up to the the i the idea in his head of what the Dead Poet Society is. And I I, I, when, I like it. I like and it. when Keating tells them all to walk around and find their own walk, and he's the only one that doesn't. Yeah, he just stands there. And I was like, he's he lives it. He he's the one that really lives it. Yeah, he's he's one he's the one who gets it. All right, one of the major themes the most famous thing in this is seizing the day carpe diem which i know you're mad about for reasons that you can explain right now let's just get it out of the way amy why are you mad at carpe diem it bothers me that on the american film institute they consider that one of the hundred best like lines of a movie you know it's what? a classic saying it's not you know what you know, you know what you know what bothers me about that it bothers me that you're bothered by that Attica Why? is on Attica 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 from Dog Day Afternoon is also on the best no, on, is also yeah, but, but you know what that 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 is literally that was literally an improv from Pacino that was though, used and it oh is it is it, is it just so well. I mean, yeah, and it's and it's used so well and Carpe, Carpe Diem is used Diem, so well here Carpe Diem is on every single like paperweight t-shirt it's a very, very famous saying, Attica, Attica, outside so whatever. of the Attica riots. It does matter. It's so no, it doesn't. It matters. It matters it's the context. Totally I don't. Different. I don't care where it, where it comes from. I care how it is used in this particular movie. You could have someone give the uh, the to be or not to be speech, and if that is amazing, 
in uh, in in context of the film, it could be on the AFI top one hundred top hundred lines. Most no, of the lines are are improvs anyway. Be, no, needs to be so unique to that film. You no, think nonsense. Attica, you nonsense. think two things. You think Attica riots. You think Dog Day Afternoon. If I came up to you and said Carpe Diem, would you be like, oh, you know what? That's Dead Poet Society. No, I would you'd be like, it's an unbelievable. No, I would only no, I would only think it's Dead Poet Society. We've been living it's been it's been thirty years. Oh people kids these no. days only know this well, from Dead Poet Society. Nobody well, and uh, if anybody says they're gonna be like, Oh yeah. no, well yeah, Dead Poet Carpe Diem, that's that's Dead Poet Society, right? It's so famous. That's what this made this it was fun. Sure no. it was it was around, but it is so much more famous it didn't because make of this. It famous. It What's did. It totally made it famous. False. Yeah. No. No. Made it famous. You're in my totally in my world, it made it famous at least at the very least because I was you know I was, I was a teenager. I'm like yes, Carpe Diem. This is the first time I've ever heard this. I'm I'm, I'm running with it. I want to get it tattooed on my well, face. Maybe, I didn't. I don't know. Maybe you didn't take Latin, but it's a. Oh, it's I, took, a I took famous. I took Latin. It's, it's whatever. But it, you know, it's it's, it's not it's the context it's like in which Harrison it's discussed. Trying to trying to trademark that's hot. That's she, ridiculous. You know, trying to trademark that term, or our president trying to coin the phrase "you're fired." All right, we are we are splitting hairs, and we are going down a long yeah. road. I'm saying it does it can be it is it's monumental, it's inspirational, it's by by. To the to the to the outside world, it is and from this. I don't like if things. all right. D- what all right? What is the what what what's oh, the what's the, what's the time like limit? What's the time? What's the time limit? That, how how old does something have to be, or how new does something have to be? It's is fifty years, ten years, hundred years, thousand years? Have to be from a different culture. No, but it's. But I've heard it so many other places. Have you heard it? I've heard it. I've heard it a thousand other places. It's on T-shirt. It's like a common. You've, you've, yeah, you yeah you okay like, you've heard it's it totally different than Attica Attica from from nineteen eighty. Did you wait? When did when did you when did you hear or read all of these things? Was it? After 1989 or before 1989? Because I'm going to wager well, if it was after 1989, everything, literally everything is about, probably goes back to Dead Poet Society. Okay, considering I was in fifth grade, no, I hadn't heard a lot of Latin expressions. Uh, the, and, and However, I, I would give Oh Captain, My Captain one of the famous lines of all time. Like, yes, it's from a poem, but that phrase i remember most from the movie yes i i, I, I would absolutely that give that to the film we definitely agree on that but going back to seizing the day let's talk about what seizing the day is do you know what seizing the day is not it's Knox, josh charles sitting at a party with a girl who is sleeping possibly passed out because she's intoxicated and going in for possibly. a kiss that is uh that is not seizing the day, folks. I know it was supposed to be inspir- inspiring. You're supposed to be all all happy, and we're like, "Yay, Josh Charles!" But no, no, that's um, uh, I'm like, I should like, I I, I, re- I wrote my notes. That should get him a heavy a heavy reprimand, and it does. He gets his ass whooped. However, if you think about it, we're supposed to kind of feel bad for him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, no. The, we're supposed to think that her boyfriend, and we're gonna get to that's on my list of ten thousand things that don't make any sense. Right. In the movie, there's a lot, so much with Knox and a couple things with Ethan Hawke, really just don't make any sense, and you have to kind of completely block them from your mind because they don't make any logical sense. But it's like, no, this he you have. This girl is asleep slash passed out. He reaches over and like looks at her all weird, and then caresses her, and then kisses her, and her on the forehead. And you're like, uh, her quote unquote mean boyfriend beats the shit out of Josh Charles, and it's like, well, guess what? If I'm passed out and some guy tries to kiss me, yeah, my husband's gonna try to kick your ass. Seriously, and uh, it's just we understand that this movie made in 1989. So already, okay, it's a different era, but it's about the 1950s. So we go, yeah, this is, I guess, quote unquote, and I'm just like lightly air quoting here. Uh, Is this romantic for the 50s? But and looking at it through nowadays, I I I didn't never realize because I you know I so loved these characters when I was younger. But fuck, Knox is so creepy. Knox meets this girl, Chris. Once, once, 
probably doesn't really speak to her all that much and is in is in and not not like hey i like you it's i'm in love with you and i'm like oh jesus at Christ. her boyfriend's house at her boyfriend's house goes to her goes to her school shows up reads a poem it, there's a lot of it's it's supposed to be portrayed as romantic, Follows but nowadays her into her classroom. Yeah, after it's... she's already been like, "I have a boyfriend. You need to back off." Right. Follows her into her classroom, and then reads a poem. And and but you know you know you know what they say: just because it's a goalie doesn't mean you can't score. But this, alongside basically every movie, uh, every movie growing up, I was gonna I'm gonna go back to Cinema Paradiso just because we talked about that. It's it further reinforces the you know how you win a girl you wear her the fuck down you just you just chase and chase and chase you hunt her down like a lion hunts a gazelle where it's just like she just gives up and says to hell with it i am so tired of fending off your bullshit i'm just gonna go out with you to shut you up to get this over with uh and that's terrible and i um i realize that you know, we had this. You know, you always ask me which which of the dead poet boys are you, and I'm not any particular one. But I find that I have a. I, growing up, I had far too much knocks in me, and I I'm deeply deeply regretful of that. But I will say one thing one one good one good thing about knocks uh, from the knocks in the fifties versus knocks today is that knocks nineteen fifties knocks. He says, "If I can't be with Chris, I'm going to kill myself." And that's terrible. 2018 Knox would be, if I can't be with Chris, I'm going to go to her school, shoot her, kill a bunch of her classmates, and then either shoot myself or get killed by cops. So, uh, there's that. Or write that. a manifesto. Or, no, well, I'm going to write a manifesto, and then I'm going to shoot some people up and blow, and blow some stuff up. So, uh, yay for... Not as much talk, toxic masculinity back then. Yeah, but either way, he still he still seems very safe. I don't want to say this, but he only kisses her head. He's yeah. not like fondling her. But also, he does it right out in the open. Really, the it's boyfriend's really... like on the other side of the room. Yeah, that's not uh, that's that's not that's and, not cool. But the fact is, is we're not supposed to think. Okay, why is he doing this or whatever? Or that he only met her once. And like I said, there's a whole thing I do need to. Can I, can I bring yeah, it up? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Here. Certain things about this movie, once you've seen them, don't make any sense. Okay. One, why would Todd Anderson be starting this new private school his senior year? That makes absolutely no sense. Oh, his brother went. Yeah. His brother just his brother just graduated, but it's clearly their senior year. So where was he going to school before this, and why would they transfer him a senior year? Why wouldn't he already be at the same school? It's plot device. We need a new kid. Right. I Let's th- shove him I, in. Yeah, there. yeah. There, there was something about money, or I don't know. No, don't not know. with him. Not Neil with him? was the one. Neil was the one that. Did yeah, have Neil was money. the one with money. You're right. Ethan <laughs> Hawke did have money, so why would he? And I get it. They need a new kid, so we're experiencing it through him. However. That whole, it still doesn't make any sense. And you have to try not to think about it too much, but it makes no sense. Yeah. Because his brother clearly went there for like a while. Why yeah, it was like the star. He was, was like, like the so star good. of the school. Yeah. You gotta, and... The whole Knox Overstreet thing. One, why is he just meeting the Danbury's for the first time? If they're old family friends, why is he just now meeting them for the first time? Okay. If the parents are such good friends. That doesn't make any sense. Two, if they're quote unquote big time alums, which is how they're referred to, why does their son go to public school and not private school? That doesn't make any sense to me either. Think about it. Yeah. Wait. They're wait, rich wait. they're rich mucky mucks. Why would their son, if they're big time alums, go to public school? It was yeah, it's Chet, it's Ch- Chet's, Chet's their kid, right? Not Chris is not their kid, right? Right, Chris is just some lady. No, no Chris no. is dating is dating their son. What? Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he go to? Why wouldn't he go to the same school with the other guys? Yeah, they would. They then, they would have just taken him in, regardless of how dumb he is. Okay. Exactly, because that's what happened with rich kids. That that him going to public school makes absolutely no sense. The fact that they've never actually met Knox before. 
also would not make any sense. If they're old family friends, he would have known them already. Instead, it was like the first time he was ever meeting them. And why, after all this time, are they finally inviting him over to their house for dinner? Like, he's right. been there for four years. That doesn't make any sense. Okay. Then, when he says Chet Danbury, some of the other guys seem like they know who Chet Danbury is. How would they know who Chet Danbury is? That doesn't make any sense. We have definitely watched this movie too many times. Which is not a bad I know, thing. <laughs> but now I'm just, now I'm like, oh I'm not gonna be I'm like, not gonna be able to rewatch this now and be like, shit, Amy was right. You're totally right. Oh it's true. It doesn't make any sense. And every time I watch it, I'm like, how do they know who Chad Danbury is? He's a public school kid. Yeah. Do they know who he is? And I mean all of those things, like I said, it kind of bothers me now because they talk about them like they don't know him. And then they're all like, oh, he's such a jerk. Well, how the fuck would they know? They never met him. Well, you know, those public school and kids. And Hooligans. See him. Hooligans, I tell know. you. We also, exactly. He's a public school kid. He's like, he's such a jerk. How is he a jerk? You know, I had, I, I found myself respecting Chet more. Like, he was a little boorish, but, you know, he... Cause somebody was assaulting somebody, somebody was assaulting his girlfriend and like I oh, you yeah you you need to you need to step in there good for you Chet yeah, I don't know much clearly, else about you but all right sure and good. she clearly wasn't interested because when they get to the house she says oh you came alone right Jenny Jenny Danbury is right upstairs so she's thinking I'm hooking him up with this other girl. Who, by the way, Ginny Danbury was supposed to be played by Lara Flynn Boyle and her part got cut out of the movie. Ooh. So you never see her in the movie. So okay. she was thinking, I'm going to hook you up with this other girl. So we know for a fact she had no interest in Knox. And she was very happy with her boyfriend. And why is he a, a jerk? Because he plays football and can kick your ass when you openly make hey, a new when you are the Hey, when you are the sensitive kid who reads science fiction novels and writes terrible poetry in high school. Yeah, the jocks are terrible. And not that I not that I know or Let anything from, from from experience but or you anything. Played soccer. I did I played you soccer. Played I played that. soccer for one year and then I became a drama kid. You oh, played boy. soccer and you were Probably. tall and stuff. I so was tall. Well they, you know you they, probably could have kicked some You know, tall tall and awkward. I was uh I was pits. Let's be I was pits. I wasn't uh, I you know I was I was the lead in the lead in the play so it makes me a little bit like Neil. I felt like I had some good spontaneity and, and artistic vision like Todd, but mostly I was pits. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go along with, with this and feel inspired and sure, everything will be fine and it will all work itself in the end, sadly. sadly I that's... was a little bit, believe it or not, the one way that I related to Ethan Hawke in this, and that... believe it or not, I was, because I used to be really shy and reserved. Mm -hmm. okay. I'm just kidding. You actually believed me when I said that? Never. I was never no. trying. Never. I would not. Never. But I was voted second most talkative in my class senior year. Who was the first was most first. talkative? I, I want to meet that person. I won't say her name, but this girl did talk more than I did. But having the older sibling that was like the golden child, when, when he goes, uh, Mr. Anderson, you have really big shoes to fill. Yeah. I was the awkward english theater girl my sister valedictorian editor of the newspaper went to an ivy league Ooh. and i've i had many many teachers tell me wow it must be really hard for you having such a whiz kid as an older sister i was in uh, classes I was that way. i really struggled in i was what? the same way I, I was the same way my brother is very talented number three in his class and i i, I just sort of went down the I'm going to focus on the artistic stuff, stuff that he yeah. wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't great at. So, God, my poor younger brother. Oof, man. Sorry, Mike. Beautiful. Love you. All right, all right, all right. But, getting all right, getting uh, getting back to the movie. Getting back to the movie. Um, let's talk about Neil's death. It's the major third act catalyst that sort of, you know, it, the entire film crescendos there. Yeah. Uh, I was still very affected. By the way Weir directs this scene, the way he cuts together. I, th I think it should have gotten an editing nom overall in general, but especially for the scene. Weir does, does an excellent job creating atmosphere. Yeah. There was, there was, it, was so, it was so atmospheric, and it felt like, it kind of felt like suicide. 
the, you know, just the way the the way the air. You, I could feel the chill in the air and just the the, the quiet of but everything. Without being too crazy, now he did he did something similar in a movie that he made in the nineteen seventies called um, Picnic at Hanging Rock. Okay, okay. Yeah. There's a whole weird, almost trippy kind of a scene. Yet it it still made it still flowed in the movie. Hmm. But okay. um, I definitely liked the way it was shot. I want to ask you a question. Okay. Do you think the suicide kind of fit in with the movie, or do you think that that was a little bit like, wait a minute, this kid never would have committed suicide? What do you? I, what you what know, are your I, thoughts on that? I was, I, I was wondering who have that. Seen it and said he never that that a kid like that really never would have actually done that, and that kind of took them out of the movie because they thought him killing himself was just totally like no, unbelievable. I, I think it is very in line with Neil and with Mr. Foreman from uh, from that seventy from He'll that seventy show. Be and read. Yeah, yeah, he will definitely always be read. No, I thought it was it's very in line with the relationship was. You have this kid who is seventeen. He's he's handsome. He could literally have anything because he's still you're he's your seventeen year old white guy. You're a, a boomer or like a tail end of greatest generation in the in the 1950s. The world is literally yours. You can do whatever you want, but you can't. You are he's being confined. He's being boxed in, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I, we I don't want to say that you know I'm not going to say suicide is a cowardly thing. It's it's I would never have the foot spot to, to do it. And I, I, and so I get, I get why this character would. I get why Neil would do this. He is trapped. He's looking at his life, and it's, and it begins at 28 when a lot of lives are, you know, settling in. But he's just gonna, he's just gonna finally get going after he becomes a doctor. And that's, that's terrifying. It's a long time. That is a it long is. life to not have any say in what you do. And if and, this is the action, if this is the one way you can take control of this, then I I I I understand it. I understand it, and it's uh, and it's it's infuriating and it's tragic that it has to come to it. But I think it couldn't happen any other way for the movie. I think it really it's very effective here in the film. No, and and I agree with you. I think that especially since it's not just being a doctor. This is a kid who wasn't allowed to do to be in a play, even though he had like all A's in his other classes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like his father really had absolutely no reason to say you can't be in this play. If his father said be in the play, but you still have to keep your grades up, Neil would have still been alive, and he probably still would have gone to medical school. Probably. He probably. But the fact that it was so. Because you're doing this, you can't ever do anything that you want. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's that seems very. That I think is why his father seemed like such an asshole. If he like was blowing off classes and all that stuff, I could see why his dad would be like, "Okay, you need to quit the play because your grades are suffering." Right. But they weren't suffering, no, and it he, was also the night. And it was the night before the play, and you're like, his father really just showed how. What an unbelievable asshole his father yeah, just was! This control, totally this control, the freak. yeah, not not logical. Didn't didn't want to see. He just wanted his way and to grow up under that shadow is, and that, must be terrifying. And that he didn't feel any modicum of pride in his son. And usually, parents who are like that. Who want? Oh, you have to be. You have to be the best. If their kid was the editor of the yearbook and the star of a play, they would be like, "Look at my perfect child. Yeah. He has all A's. He's going to be a doctor. He was the star of the play." You know what I mean? They wouldn't. They wouldn't take those things away from them. Yeah, and they would brag about them. Yeah, and and and, and I have to and say, I've seen. I've I seen. I do like the fact that the father doesn't relent. I think that would have been false if the father, after the play, was like, "Wow, now that I've seen how talented you are." Go ahead and do what you want with my yeah. blessing. That would have been a terrible way to end the movie, and a lot of movies would have taken, yeah, would have taken that path. Which, which is, which is why I'm glad it did. It does. It, it need something bad needs to happen, if only to further the let we we need to get Keating out of here 
narrative and, and this is and it's perfect and yes i've seen the end of midsummer night's dream a lot of times i still like neil's version of it the best uh there's 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 there's, there's something about puck's final final monologue that it's clearly the uh, the tom shulman the writer was looking through shakespeare plays and like what is the most thematically relevant shakespearean play for this film oh I know a Midsummer Night's Dream. He's Puck. It's about you know assuming different roles and identities, and you know Puck's entire thing is about asking for forgiveness at the end. And you're like, oh, it's it's so it's so perfect. And he's and looking at his. And he's dad. looking at his dad. You're like, yes, I love this. I I just love this so much. There's and so Robert, many moments that just work. And Robert Sean Leonard, God, he's such a good actor. And he's he done. And my husband and I were watching this last night, and he hadn't seen it as much as I have. He didn't remember the entire suicide thing. Oh. So it had to say that it had been a long time for him. It's a long time. But okay. um. His reaction when you see his father come into the theater, and yeah. you you feel his heart just turn to ice. Yeah, yeah, you can just read you it, read it on his face panic. right there. Oh. He's so good. My husband's like, "Why wasn't he in more?" I'm like, "Well, he's done a lot on Broadway. I mean, he was in like in Long House. Day's Journey and Tonight, well, and he was in Long Day's Journey Tonight. He was in the Kevin Spacey, uh, The Iceman Cometh. I mean, he's done a lot. Yeah, and he's... he was on House, which we never watched. Oh, you should watch House. It's great." He he's but, great. He's great. He's great. All right. But just that that was really powerful. And the one line that always stands out to me is when the when he goes, but father, I can't the place tomorrow night. And his father says to him, I don't care if the world ends tomorrow night. Yeah. It, Which you, is like foreshadowing, foreshadowing. Yeah. And the world does come to an end. Some yeah. kills himself. And that to me is the most powerful line in the movie because I've seen it so many times. But just the way he says, I don't care if the world comes to an end tomorrow night. And you're like, Dad, not so watch your words. Yeah, you have to. Consequence. Consequence. Coming to the end now. Keating is pilloried. Essentially, he's driven out because thought crime. Something in the 50s. Thought, I don't know. Very sad. Ending scene. John Keating oh. comes back during, during a class. Mind you, terrible timing, by the way. To, Which he would know. He, he would know. Yeah, this is this is that on purpose. Ab absolutely. He goes. He gets the stuff. Todd, Ethan Hawke, the, cries out to him, saying, "They made us. They made us sign this uh, this confession, saying you did all these things. You 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 you, you did this for us, and you have the um, one of the all time great ending scenes of." Ethan Hawke and all, a lot of his classmates getting on their deaths and crying, oh, Captain, my Captain. And John Keating says, thank you, boys, thank you. Film ends. How awkward must the rest of that class be after the cut to black? I just, what, what do you think happens after John Keating leaves? They're standing on their desks looking like idiots. The teacher is... Not happy because he's the head of the he's head of school. What happens to them? What's what's gonna what's gonna go? I, I'm I'm always wondering what the hell happens here. I never thought about that. Oh, it's got to be so awkward. It's I be do so awkward. like that. Not all the boys get up and stand. Yeah, and I'm Including... I, I'm, I'm, I'm also glad that Cameron, that rat bink Cameron, doesn't stand up. I hate that. Kid. No, because that would have been totally stupid. That and I remember. Stupid. Forgetting because when you find out that Dalton got expelled, it's very the door is closed and you it's sort of mumbled that he got expelled. Yeah. There's not a big deal made about it. So I think maybe the first time I saw it, I didn't pick up on you know what I mean? Right. And I remember thinking, why isn't he in this scene? Because I just somehow missed that little yeah. muffled line. Right. Because well, because it's supposed to be like, talking. And they, yeah. Exactly. So it, it just still amazes me. I imagine it would be unbelievably awkward. They probably would all face some kind of discipline. Oh, yeah. But the teacher realized, but they, I don't think they would have all gotten kicked out of school. Right. I, th I, th I think it's, it's, it's basically Spartacus. They're all Spartacusing yeah. it. And they're, all, they're either all going to be uh, punished or they're not going to be punished. Hopefully they aren't crucified. That would be terrible. But uh, it's a 
and it's just this rousing. You have the the score going up, and oh, uh, I it's a great moment in cinema, and they you know just a wow in the end. And I think this is one of the one of my favorite ending sequences in a in a film. Uh, that just really it's it says that Ethan Hawke and Todd and a lot of these other characters were affected by you. We will remember you. And we care, and 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 you are loved. And also, John Keating says thank you. The boys are saying thank you right now too. And uh, I I just I just really love that. I really love that. I... And that Todd, that Todd's the first one that does it. The rest of them, again, like 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 you said before with Keating, they're all kind of following Todd because he sort of made it safe to do it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it, because it, by it, the time like the eighth kid stands up. You're like, oh, you know okay. what I'm saying, but the fact that Todd was the first one to do it, yeah, it's it's and that and that's really important and he has that for Todd. He's so young. He's got that look on his face. He's a so baby. young. Oh They're so. I just want to like squeeze him. He's so him. beautiful. He's he still is. He's he's still he's still great looking. He's I, very I, I Ethan Hawke is severely underrated. I I love I love Ethan Hawke since this and the Before trilogy. Uh, he's great in so in so many things. It's, he's He's beautiful. He's I love gorgeous. I love and in this, he just the, and the, how he stands up and sort of turns around. I've watched this scene about seven thousand times. Oh yeah, I, I sometimes just turn on the speeches just to feel inspired. It's really and I so great. There's another kid in the movie though. I think his name is Hopkins. Okay. He's just as far as like characters that are totally unsung heroes of the movie. But he really he made a lot of a small part. He's the one that the cat set on. Oh uh, yeah, okay. That kid, the kid who's kind of an ass. He's kind of an ass, but he's still. But how? But how Keating got through to him too, and that's what I liked about him. Like he gets up, and he's a smug ass. Like we all teach students like that. But yeah. oh, the ending is amazing and powerful. It makes you forget all of those stupid questions about the Dan Marys and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that's I, because that's, it's just so powerful. Yeah, and that, that, that's what, that's what the movie score. does. The movie does make sure. That's what you take with you. Yeah, if if you if you leave on a scene like that, you you're 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 flying high. You're flying. It's bittersweet. It's lovely. It's beautiful. Did Dead Poets Society deserve to win Best Picture in 1989? Over Driving Miss Daisy, Overdrive I would Miss say Daisy. yes, <laughs> in a heartbeat. Um. I wouldn't, I don't think it did. However, I love it and it deserves to be remembered as it is. It's, it is a classic movie. It is. It's a classic. It deserves to be a classic. It's a very, very good movie. I do think there were one or two others that I think are better. Yeah. Uh, We've probably discussed them or we will discuss them in the future. It's, uh, I would agree. It's, Roger Ebert famously did not like this movie, so did Pauline Kael. It, it, it got mixed reviews upon release a lot. And Ebert's and I, review of it, I think, was very fair. When I read his, because I went online and I read his review, and I'm like, he's kind of right. He is. He is. But you know he's what? He's right. And how they never got into the beat poetry that if they're really being rebels, they're not going to be reading Whitman and Frost. Right. But you know what? I don't care. I... I hear you. I hear your complaints. I hear like the storylines going. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I hear all the criticism. Do not care <laughs> about no, any of that because I, I love I love the ending. I love the message it has to say. Uh, is it is a bit maudlin and sentimental? Yes. It goes through. Some, it goes for some shortcuts. Yes. Don't care. Love the characters. I love John Keating. I love Robin Williams in this. Ethan Hawke, all the kids, the music, the score, the location, the the, the oh, speeches, yapping. I will. I don't think it deserved Best Picture if it were between this and Driving Miss Daisy. Obviously, Obviously. a bunch of other films. This is like number three or four. Probably we're going to talk about a, other. We've talked about one film that probably deserved Best Picture. We'll talk about another film that deserves deserved Best Picture. But this movie, I will always love. I'm always it's on going the to Amy Thomas in Top 100. Yes, it I, is. And you know what? I've seen it a hundred times. I'm going to watch it 500 more times in my life. I am and going I know to that. show and my I'm daughter. And I'm always going to be great. moved. It is. It's you all like you know what's coming. 
I could I can quote this entire movie. Me too. And I still am shocked at Neil's death. I am still inspired by Keating's speeches. I still love Todd's defiance that he gets up on the desk. There's I there's, love Dalton calling himself Nawanda and playing the sonorous saxophone. Yeah, it's uh, there's there's just so many moments. There are individual moments to love. If it doesn't coalesce into the tightest story, the, the story that you know explores its themes the most, sure. I don't care. I think this movie's great. I will always think this movie's great. Am I completely biased in this? Yes. I do not care. But if you care, folks, you can write us an email at oscarwatchpodcast at gmail.com and be sure to find and follow us on social media and let us know your thoughts on Facebook, where Amy Thomason will definitely be one to field them and get into a long, drawn-out discussion with you. Amy, where can folks find you if they wanted to get in touch with you elsewhere? A Thomason 11 on Twitter. Yes. Next week, we continue our look into the year that was, 1989, with another For Your Reconsideration. It's Soderbergh. It's Khan, it's James Spader, it's Sex Live and Videotape. Can't wait. Should have been a contender. That one. Should have been a contender. Oh, Big oh, time. really, really, really should have been. Uh, with special guest, here's hoping, at least. I'll tell you more about that soon. Until then, until next time, we'll see you on the red carpet. <laughs>